Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 7. The book of Psalms and turn to the seventh Psalm. Don't call them chapters because they're not chapters, they're actual songs or psalms. So that's why we call it that. Anyway, I, I've just been doing some reading through the Psalms and just uh, kind of going through some thoughts in the last couple of weeks. Just want to preach some messages on some of the Psalms that I've been reading and some things that I've been uh, gleaning out of them. And, and I want to share it with you. And we're going to read this entire Psalm Psalm 7, but I want to start, before we read the psalm, I want you just to start with the, the heading. Look at the heading. It says, Shagion of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush, the Benjamite. And so it kind of gives us the reason for this psalm. I'm going to explain a couple words to you in just a little bit. Uh, but it, it kind of gives us the idea or the reason for why David sang this song unto the Lord, and it was concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. And I'll tell you who he was in just a little bit as well. But let's read this psalm together. You can follow along. O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is my enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust, Selah. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sake, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. But establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reins. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. Uh, he hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. That means the crown or the forehead. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Some of that might be confusing or not really understanding exactly what David is saying, but we'll do our best to uh, break it down and to give some background to it uh, to help us understand it. And then we'll make some applications and some principles uh, out of this that can be helpful for us today. And I won't keep you long this afternoon, but I do want you to pay attention. Uh, there's some valuable uh, instruction and encouragement for God's people in this psalm. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help today again with your word and thank you for this psalm and, and what it can teach us and, and how all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And Lord, I pray that you'd use it today to that end. And may you uh, be pleased with the response. Lord, help us to stay awake and Lord, to pay attention and engage with your word this afternoon. We thank you for each one that's here. In Jesus' name, amen. So we started with looking at the heading that says, Shagion of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush, the Benjamite. Cush, the Benjamite, was, by the way, this, this was written during the time when King Saul uh, was, was on the hunt for David and for his life. So David is on the run. David's hiding for his life. Uh, King Saul is trying to kill him. He's hunting, searching for him. That's the time period in which this psalm was written. Cush, the Benjamite, was among King Saul's followers. And he was one of a group of evil men from Saul's tribe who would report what they heard about David during those years when Saul was out to capture and to destroy David. Saul was one who played on the sympathy of these other people, and he often would bribe men into serving him as spies to find out what David's doing, where he's at, so he can hunt for his life. In fact, in 1 Samuel, and, and to, to really capture the whole picture, we'd have to go back and read a bunch in, in 1 Samuel, and we don't have the time to do that. But let me just share with you something. In 1 Samuel 22, 6, when Saul heard that David was discovered... And the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree, and Ramah having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. So he's on the hunt for David. He hears that David has been spotted. And then verse 7 says, Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? In other words, what Saul is doing is he's bribing his people to, or his fellows to, to hunt with him after David. And the point I'm making is that Saul had these hired people or spies to look and to listen for David and to tell him where David was at. And so when Saul heard that David was discovered, that kind of gives you an idea of what's going on. But what was going on as well was that to earn the king's approval and reward from King Saul, often people would lie about David and Saul would believe them. And Cush, the Benjamite, was one of those people who was Saul's spy and who would even lie about David to gain favor with the king. Now, the heading tells us that David wrote this concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Now, we don't know exactly what Cush said, and we don't know exactly what lies he may have told Saul about David, but whatever it was, it was concerning enough for David to cry out to God for deliverance and for vindication. Now, the word Shagion that you read there in the beginning, it means a passionate psalm with strong emotion. And it's telling us how David felt about whatever was going on. 
Some people believe that word is a word that means to wander or to cry aloud. And it, it, the point is, is that, that apparently it was something of strong emotion to David that caused him to cry out to the Lord. The theme of this psalm here is vindication of his servant and God's judgment on the enemies. And you see in verse 6, he says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. In verse 8, he says, The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. In verse 11, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. That's the theme of this psalm, that David is calling out to God for vindication. So apparently Cush had said something and told some lies, and it was, it was enough of a burden for David to cry out to God for vindication. We're going to look at four different things in this psalm, principles that we find contained here. The first is that other people in life are going to judge us wrongly. The second is we need to judge ourselves, but we need to do it honestly. Thirdly, we're going to look in here that God is the one who judges righteously ultimately. And then fourthly, we're going to see that sin itself will, will judge sinners in the end. And those are things that can be applicable for us today. And so we're going to ask the Lord and trust that the Lord will use His Word in our hearts today, okay? The first principle is in verses 1 and 2, and that is that other people will often judge us wrongly. In verse 1, he says, O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver." Now, we read in the heading that Cush had said something about David, probably some lies. And he had lied about David, and therefore Saul was persecuting and pursued after David in the midst of this. The Bible tells us that David fled to the Lord in that case for refuge. That was a theme of David's life, to flee to the Lord in Psalm 11 in verse 1, he says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to, to your mountain? Uh, he, he says, I flee to the Lord, and I put my trust in the Lord. In Psalm 16, in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. In Psalm 31, in verse 1, and you could see this over and over again in the Psalms. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. And so it was a theme of David's life. And same here in Psalm 7, he says, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. David fled to the Lord because the Lord was the one who knew that David was innocent against Saul's accusations. Now look at verse 2. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to, the, to deliver. It tells you what David's feelings were 
in this situation. That, that David felt like, like, like a prey to a lion. And David would know. David had saved his father's sheep from the attacks of dangerous beasts. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, when, when uh, uh, the armies of the Israelites were standing there looking at, at Goliath, and they were all afraid of Goliath, the whole army. And David comes in and he says, what are you, what are you afraid of? And he goes to Saul, he says, I'll go fight Goliath. And Saul says, you can't do that. And even as a young man, David said in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 34, David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. David knew what prey must have probably felt like. He said, I've had lambs in my father's flock who a lion came and stole it, and was going to eat it, but I ran out and defended it. And David says, I feel like that. I feel like that helpless victim, like the lamb that needed someone to deliver him. Now notice something else. David moves from the plural in verse 1 to the singular in verse 2, in verse 1, he says, Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. And then in verse 2, he says, Lest he tear my soul like a lion. And so he moves from the plural, Saul's men, to the singular, Saul himself. And the point here is that Saul was making judgment against David that was actually false judgment. David didn't do... And David wasn't the kind of person that Saul made him out to be. And he hunted for his life unrighteously. And David is feeling like he's a helpless victim. But David goes to the Lord to protect him and to save him. Now, everybody got that? Everybody sees that? Let's make the application here. People, people will often judge us wrongly in life. People will say things and think things that are untrue things. Sometimes people don't even need facts or proof. They're just going to believe whatever they want to believe anyway. That's the way it is in life sometimes. And have you ever had somebody say things about you that aren't true? Have you ever had somebody tell lies about you? Sometimes in situations of life, there is no possible way to explain what really happened or what's really going on. You can't possibly explain it all to everyone who's heard things. Sometimes people uh, uh, don't want to see what's true. Sometimes you couldn't possibly make people see what's true. You wouldn't be able to even if you tried. Sometimes that's the way it is in life. People are going to judge you wrongly. Sometimes people will just believe what they want to believe anyway without facts and without evidence. Does that feel good? When people tell lies about you? When people talk about you or judge you wrongly or falsely? Does that feel good? No. It doesn't feel good. Most of the time when that happens, it makes us feel like we want to retaliate, like we want to set the record straight. But sometimes it's impossible to do that. 
Now, there are times when we ought to defend ourselves. Given the opportunity, the Bible does say that there is a time for that. And sometimes there are times when people are saying untrue things that, uh, that Paul told Titus, by sound doctrine, you should shut their mouth. You should cause their mouth to stop by giving them sound doctrine. There are times when that is the case. But there's also times when that may never be the case. When you can never fully explain or help people see what is true. So what do you do when people judge you wrongly? When people falsely accuse us, when people create problems for us, when people believe things that are untrue about us, instead of retaliating, instead of going after them, we ought to follow David's example and find our refuge in the Lord. Sometimes people care more about what other people think of them than what God thinks of them. And it's more important to be vindicated in the eyes of others than to just rest in the fact that God knows what's true about me. There are times, though, when we suffer, but we end up suffering uh, not wrongfully, but because of our poor choices. Uh, the Bible talks about that. We need to be sure that when we're suffering, we're suffering wrongfully and not because of our own foolishness or our disobedience. In Matthew chapter 5, I was actually just talking to a man about this very thing just a few days ago. Being falsely accused, being treated wrongfully, having things said about them that were untrue, being misunderstood in motives and how unfair that is uh, in life sometimes, and it is unfair. But the Bible does say in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11, Jesus says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And I was sharing with this man that, you know what? The, the reason that you're being accused or falsely accused is for the Lord's sake, for standing on truth. And the Bible says, blessed are you. The Lord knows. The Lord is keeping track. There are times, though, when we can suffer but it's because of our own foolishness, our own choices. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter addresses that. He says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, He says, And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But And if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that lieth within you, or the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. And he says in verse 17, For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing, than for evil doing, and he talks about uh, in another uh, another spot. He talks about uh, the fact that sometimes people suffer, but if you suffer as a murderer, or if you suffer.
as a thief or if you suffer as an evildoer or if you're suffering as a busybody because you're in other men's matters, well, that's your own fault and you probably deserve that. But there are times when we can suffer wrongfully. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. And so we find in this, back in Psalm 7 in our passage, that David was being judged wrongfully. He didn't do what others said he did. He didn't deserve to have his life hunted. But whatever was being said was enough of a thing to cause David enough of a burden that he passionately was crying out to the Lord. And instead of vindicating himself, David found his refuge in the Lord. And so should we. The second thought that we find here is that we need to judge ourselves, but we need to do it honestly. We're, sometimes we're not the best judges of our own character or our own situation. Sometimes we cut ourselves some slack. Notice what David says here, though. He says in verse 3, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is my enemy. He said, if I've done all of that, then let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust, Selah. David is affirming his integrity here. And David is saying, like, if I have done this evil, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was peace with me, then, then let the enemy persecute my soul. In fact, let my honor be the one that's dragged through the dirt. But I'm not that way. I didn't do that. David is trying to affirm his integrity before the Lord. And what David does is he asks the Lord, who is the supreme judge, to be the one to vindicate him because his hands were clean. Now, David wasn't claiming to be sinless here. He was simply stating that he was blameless in his motives and his actions. He was really misunderstood. And if, if he was indeed guilty of this, he said, I'm willing to accept God's discipline, but he knew that that was not his heart. Now, notice verse 4. He says, in parentheses, in verse 4, he says, Yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. He's talking about King Saul here. And if you recall the situation when Saul was on the hunt for David, there were two times when David could have killed Saul very easily. And two opportunities that Saul, uh, Saul's life was spared because David was not going to take vengeance against him. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26. And what David is saying here is that that's proof enough that my heart isn't filled with malice against him. I don't have a desire for revenge. In fact, in one of those situations, when Saul and his armies were hunting David, the Bible says that, that Saul went into a cave and he was going to go to the bathroom. He was going to cover his feet. And that's how the Bible calls it. 
It just so happened that David and his men were hiding in that very cave. And so Saul goes in all alone to do his business, and David, uh, he puts his cloak down, his coat down, and David comes along and he cuts a piece of the cloth of his coat and lays it back down, and all the men are like, David, God's delivered him into your hand. You can take his life right now. And he said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And so Saul gets done doing whatever he's got to do, and he walks out of the cave, and he's walking away, and David comes out of the cave behind him, and the Bible says that David called to him, and he said, Oh, Lord, my king. And Saul's like, What? And he turns around, and David's standing right there. And he holds up that piece of cloth, and he said, I could have taken your life. It would have been that easy. And the Bible says that David bowed himself down before Saul and he said, I can't touch the Lord's anointed. And you would think that that would be enough to cause Saul to be like, whoa, maybe he's not actually what I thought he was. But it wasn't enough to deter Saul at all. But David was making the point, I could have killed you, but the Lord won't let me do it. And I don't want to do it. And that's what David's talking about in this psalm where he says, Yea, I have delivered him that without cause is my enemy. In other words, David said, I didn't do anything to make him my enemy. Now, we can make an application here. And the application that we're talking about or the point we're talking about is we need to judge ourselves. But we need to do it honestly. And David says, I was judging my heart, and in my heart I know that I don't have malice towards him. But you know what often happens to us? We often will cover the motives of our hearts with things. We do that all the time, in fact. Let me just, let me give you a classic example of covering the motives of our hearts. Sometimes you get a a bit of juicy information about somebody right? You don't know for sure if it's totally true, if it's factual, but you heard this from someone else. And you go to your brother, you go to your sister, and he's like, I want to tell you something. I tell you about so-and-so, but I'm only telling you this because I want you to pray with me about it for them. You've heard that classic example before. When in reality, it's just that you want to talk about it and you just want to gossip about it. But we'll cover the motive of our heart and we'll make it look like it's spiritual. I just want you to pray with me for so and so. I, we, we do that all the time. I've been guilty of the same thing. And we want to cover it up and so on. But the point is, is that we need to judge our own heart, but we need to do it honestly And how important it is to be open and honest with both the Lord and ourselves about the motives of our heart. David said, if if, if I'm guilty of this, then, then I'm willing for my own honor to be laid in the dust. But David knew that his hands were clean. Have you ever had that kind of a situation in your life where someone's your enemy, but you didn't do anything to make them your enemy? And we want to justify ourselves, and we want to. And sometimes there are times when somebody is our enemy, but we don't want to look inward, and we don't want to look at the, the, the fact that I could be partly the cause of this. It's their fault. I don't know why they're mad at me. I didn't do anything. But we're not actually judging ourselves honestly. Does that make sense? Sometimes we do that. 
And how important it is that we are honest with both the Lord and ourselves. Because sometimes our hands are not clean, like we think they are. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15, And when, when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Here's the picture of those who think that they're innocent, and they spread forth their hands, they make their prayers, but God says, no, I'm not going to hear because your hands are actually full of blood. And God says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil from your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. And the thought is, then I will hear, says the Lord. Sometimes that's the way it is in life, and we need to be honest in the judgment of our own heart. We need to take a look inward. That's what David was doing. And he took a look inward and he said, if I've done this, if that's true and I'm guilty of it, then you know what? I deserve it and let my own honor be dragged through the dust. David was making an honest assessment even of his own heart. But then we find in verses 6 through 13 that God is the one who is the actual judge. And notice what David says. He says in verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword, he hath bent his bow, and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. So David in this situation understands that he's being accused, he's being falsely judged, wrongfully. And instead of retaliating, he looks inward at his own heart, but he knows that his heart is innocent. And then he turns to the Lord and he says, God is the one who actually tries the hearts. God is the ultimate judge. So David didn't take the situation into his own hands. Rather, he turns Saul and his scheming men over to the Lord. And he says, only the righteousness of God and the judgment of God can truly vindicate me. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says, Arise, O Lord. That phrase or that statement is one that Moses used uh, with the nation of Israel when they were in the camp and Israel was going to begin their march with the ark leading the way. Uh, uh, Moses stood up and he says, Rise up, Lord, and lead us. He said in Numbers 10 and verse 35, And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. In other words, Moses was saying, God's got to be the one to number one lead, and God's also got to be the one to fight the battle. 
God's got to fight the battle. David said the same thing. He says, Arise, Lord, in thine anger lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. David knew that the danger was near, but he wanted the Lord to be the one to take action. And here's a thought, friend. If the Lord won't fight the battle, you and I shouldn't be fighting it either. It's during those times when God seems inactive that we start to get impatient and we want to see things happen immediately. And I've got to talk to this person. I've got to talk to that person. I've got to set the record straight. But listen, and, and it doesn't seem like God is the one who is doing anything. God isn't, it's, he seems inactive. And it's those times of inactivity that we like, hey, something's got to be done here. And we take matters into our own hands. But God is more long-suffering than we are. And we need to wait for the Lord to be the one to work in His time. Look at Romans chapter 12 with me. Romans 12. And notice verse 17. Romans chapter 12 and, and verse 17. He says, Recompense to no man evil for evil, Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under the wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. He says, don't recompense to any man evil for evil. Don't pay it back. And he says, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath and leave it with the Lord, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's what David is doing. He says, rise up, Lord. He's turning to God uh, for God to be the one to fight the battle. Now go back to Psalm 7. And look at the second part of verse 6 and down to verse 8, because we're talking about God is ultimately the righteous judge of things. And he says in the, at the second part of verse 6, he says, Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. Basically, what David is saying here is, God, you're the judge. God, you need to convene the court. God, you need to ascend to your throne as the judge. And he says, all the people then will gather around to witness the trial that's going to happen here. What David is saying is, Lord, I want you to try me and to prove to all that I'm actually innocent. David knew that God was the one who could test the hearts and minds of men. Look at verse 9. Oh, let the, wicked, or the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. 
God is the one who is judging the hearts of men. David knew that God could do that, and he wanted to see the wickedness of his enemies exposed and stopped, but his defense was still with the Lord. Because he says in verse 10, My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. Here's an application here. God is the one who is the righteous judge. We, that's the point, right? The application is, is that at times, it may look like evil wins the day. It may look like the wrong is in control. But the truth is, God is always keeping track, and God is the judge anyway. He says in verse 11, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Somebody might say, well, how is it that God can love the world, but also be angry with the wicked every day? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In fact, Psalm 5 and verse 5, notice what David says here. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. How is it that God can love the world, but be angry with the wicked and be a hater of those that work iniquity? We'll go back to our verse, our text there. And notice in verse 11... God judgeth the righteous, God is angry with the wicked. Do you see that those words, with the wicked, are italicized? What that means in your King James Bible is that the translators, they, they inserted that. They put that there so that it would make sense in our language. So as we're reading it, it the, the sentence structure makes sense. And And so it was added there by the translators, but the emphasis that they're trying to get across here is that God expresses anger at sin every single day. God doesn't have to summon up a special court to judge the wicked. That's what David's asking for. God, start the court, convene the court, get everybody around so that you can tell everybody and you can vindicate me and tell everybody that I'm innocent here. But then David is reminded that God's angry with the wicked every day. God doesn't have to convene a special court to judge the wicked. He expresses his anger against wickedness every single day. You say, well, how is that, Pastor? How does God do that? Well, it's simply the law of sowing and reaping that we've been talking about. He allows sinners to reap the sad consequences of their sin day by day. Notice verse 16. He says, His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. That's his own crown, his own forehead. Go to Romans chapter 1. The Bible speaks of this, the natural results of men's sin. There's some some natural retribution that happens in the world as a result of people's sin. In Romans 1, in verse 24, this whole context is the downward spiral of mankind, the downward spiral of society as Sin just gets worse and worse, and and people just going down to the bottom of the barrel. That's the whole context here. When they had the truth of God, but they didn't want to allow the truth of God to work in them, sin takes over and it takes society downhill. In verse 24, he says, Wherefore God also, or because of that, because of what I just said, 
God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Skip to verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. It means disgraceful passions. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. And notice this, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which is meat. In other words, what he's saying is mankind has gone down into the bottom of barrel. He's talking about homosexuality here. And he's saying that these people have done these things. They burn in their lust one toward another. And they ultimately end up receiving in themselves that recompense, which is meat. In other words, there's some natural consequences that are coming for your actions, for your sin. And it's justifiable. It's meat. means it's fitting. How is it that there's disease of certain kinds in this world? It's the natural result that comes about because of sin. Why do people get lung cancer when they've smoked, you know, three packs of cigarettes every day for the last 25 years? It's a natural course. Why do people get liver disease when they've been an alcoholic for so many years? Why do people have all kinds of complications after being drug addicts and vice versa? Why are there sexually transmitted diseases? It's a natural course. And so that's what this is expressing, that God is angry with the wicked every day. There's natural retribution in this world. God doesn't have to convene a special court. Now, if you go back to Psalm 7 and look at verse 12, Here's the long-suffering of God that's being presented here. So he says that God is angry with the wicked every day. And notice this. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Verse 12 shows us the long-suffering nature of God. In giving man a choice, he says, if he turn not. Meaning, if he doesn't turn around from his wicked ways, then there is more judgment that's coming, but God's giving an opportunity. But man, in his persistent rebellion, is going to end up bringing God's judgment when God's long-suffering has run its course. That's what God did back in Genesis. You remember that Genesis chapter 6, where God looked down upon the the sons of men, and their thoughts were only evil continually. And God gave an opportunity in that Noah was building an ark, and Noah was a preacher of righteousness. But God said, I'm going to destroy this world. God gave opportunity for men to turn, but when His long-suffering ran its course, God destroyed the earth with a flood. That day is coming again, friend. Only this time the Bible says that God's going to judge this world with fire. And so we see that ultimately God is the judge. He's the righteous judge. And then the last thing I want you to notice is in verses 14 to 17, that sin itself 
judges sinners ultimately. Look at verse 14. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, and digged it, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Verse 14, there's a couple words in here. He says, He travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief. The word travaileth there, it means to writhe in pain, but it means also to bring forth. What is it that he brings forth? He brings forth iniquity, David says. And then he uses the word conceived. The word there literally means to be pregnant. But what is he pregnant with? He's pregnant with mischief, David says. And the image of sin as pregnancy is frequently found in the scriptures. In Job chapter 15 and verse 34, For the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate, and fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. They conceive mischief and bring forth vanity, and their belly prepareth deceit. Isaiah 59, 4, None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. The Bible talks about it frequently in Job, or excuse me, James in the New Testament. James chapter 1, in verse 13. James 1 and verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James is saying here, let no man say when he is tempted. The word tempted there means to put to the test. So don't let anybody say when he's put to the test that I'm tempted of God. And then he says, for God cannot be tempted. That word's a different word. It means to wrestle with. God doesn't wrestle with evil. Neither does he test any man. God isn't the author of evil. God doesn't tempt you or put you to the test you know, with evil. God's not the author of that. He says, well, okay, so what's the answer? Verse 14, but every man is tested or tempted or, or uh, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The words there mean to lure or to drag away and he's drawn away or drug away of his own lust and he's enticed. It means he's entrapped. So then... When lust hath conceived, that word means to grab hold of, to possess. When, when lust has possessed you, it brings forth sin. But then sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. In other words, it's of your own lusts that you're captured. And when you're captured by it, it breeds sin. But then sin eventually grows up. And when it's finished, it brings forth death. Now look at verse 15 of our text. I'm going to finish up here. So David is saying here that sin itself 
is going to come back to bite you, Saul. He says, you bring forth iniquity, you conceive mischief, you bring forth this falsehood. You made a pit, he says in verse 15, and digged it. And he says, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. They dig pits. They fall in it themselves, he says. In Psalm 9 and verse 16, <clears throat> The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the works of his own hands. Psalm 37 and verse 14. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down to the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Basically, what David is saying is the trouble that they cause is going to come back on their own head. That's what Galatians 6, 7 says, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the application is pretty simple. There is a work of divine retribution in the world, and nobody can escape it. And you know what? That's exactly how it played out with Saul and David. God abandoned Saul from being king, and he abandoned him to his own ways. And at the end of Saul's life, the Bible says that both the arrow and the sword caught up with Saul. He wanted to kill David, but in the end, Saul was killed himself. And the Bible says that Saul went to war. He ended up being shot with arrows, and he was sore wounded, the Bible says, of his archers. And then in 1 Samuel 31, he's about to die. He knows he is. And he tells his armor bearer to draw out the sword and to kill him because he doesn't want the enemy to come and find him, and abuse him, and kill him. But the armor bearer wouldn't. And so Saul ends up falling on his own sword, killing himself. Isn't that interesting? David says he made a pit. He fell in his own pit. All the mischief that he had devised came back down on his own head. He wanted to kill David, but his own sword killed him. There are other instances. You remember Pharaoh? who ordered all the male Jewish babies to be drowned in the Nile. At the end, all of Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea. Do you remember Haman? Haman built a gallows to which he wanted to hang Mordecai on, and Haman himself was, ended up being hanged on his own gallows. The point is, is that there's a work of divine retribution in this world, and we can't escape it. Ultimately, God is going to bring judgment on sin. Nobody can escape that. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, the psalm closes with David extolling the Lord. He says, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. David is not rejoicing here because of the fact that sinners are going to be judged, and Saul was going to reap his own. 
But David is rejoicing because God's righteousness has been magnified. Truth is vindicated. And the truth is, is that God does judge sin because He's holy. And His decree is just, and God is right in doing so. His wrath will be poured out on sin. But we also need to keep in mind that God is long-suffering and not willing that any should perish. That's why He sent His Son into this world to die for your sin and mine, so that God could uphold His holiness and His righteousness and at the same time offer mercy and grace to those who would believe. You might be here this afternoon. You may have been here all day long. And you're not saved. You're not born again. You need to understand and realize that judgment is coming on sin, your sin. You need to be honest with yourself about your own heart and your own condition. And you need to flee to the Lord for His mercy and for His grace. So there's some principles in here that are helpful in how we deal with life. Sometimes people are going to judge us wrongfully. But instead of retaliating... We need to look inwardly and do an honest assessment of our own heart, and then we need to turn it over to the Lord, who is the ultimate judge, and let God deal with the matter as only God can. That's helpful in life, because you know what? We can make a lot more enemies, and we can cause a lot more problems when we start to retaliate, and this, this unruly evil gets out of control. Right? Amen. Perfectly, that was helpful to you. I know it was to me this week. And I'm going to ask the Lord that He'll use that in someone's life today. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for its instruction. Sometimes we take things into our own hands. We cause more problems. Other times, we don't judge our hearts honestly. We cover the motives of our heart. And we make it sound something that it, like it's something that it's not. All of those things will never bring the right result in the end. What we need to do is turn it over to the Lord. God is my defense, David said. And the Lord is the one who will vindicate himself and truth. And that is the fact that truth will always vindicate itself in the end. And if the Lord won't fight the battle, then we shouldn't either. And Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us. And I don't know how you may use that in someone's life today, but I pray that these principles would help ground God's people and keep us uh, on the right track in our thinking, and Lord, to realize that ultimately you're the judge, and only what you think is actually what matters. And someday, in the end, truth will always be vindicated. And Lord, so we thank you for these kinds of principles that do help ground us in our daily life and our relationships with other people. We pray that you'd use your word in Jesus' name. Amen.